0: All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am joined by Derek Classen of Football Outsiders and NBC Sports to talk about this upcoming quarterback class, as well as break down the roster moves with the Falcons signing Daron Harmon and cutting Edo Smith.
1: You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your
0: team every day. So, guys, you know me—I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcons.com. RIP. Still going strong, however on Twitter, at fans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode of Locked On Falcons, I am joined by Derek Klassen. Uh, he writes about football for football outsiders. He writes for NBC Sports Edge. Uh, he does a lot of stuff with quarterbacks. You can tell by the fact that his Twitter handle is QB class QB K L a S S um, play off of his last name for those that don't know. And um, you know, we'll pick his brain. You know, we did an earlier episode with Mark Schofield talking about this quarterback class. Wanted to get perhaps a different perspective from Derek on today's episode. Maybe he will have similar uh, opinions of what Mark had about this quarterback class. So we'll, we'll, Primarily focus on Justin Fields and or pretty much everybody not named Trevor Lawrence is is basically who we'll be talking about today. So look forward to that. But the Falcons made some roster moves as well. And so we'll start things off talking about those moves. They signed officially Cordero Patterson. We talked initially about. Patterson's fit and enroll in Atlanta on yesterday's episode. So definitely check that out for further context. I'll sort of give a general overview on the, on today's moves. They also signed uh, former new England Patriot and Detroit lions safety, Daron Harmon. And they cut surprisingly, uh, at least to most of us uh, running back, uh, ito Smith today. And the initial, my initial reaction to Edo Smith released was I kind of assumed given the timing of it all, you know, OTAs are supposed to start next week. You know, I thought it was like, oh, they, he he might have asked for his own release. And considering that maybe because of the addition of Patterson, because the expectation that the Falcons would draft a running back two weeks from now, you know, he saw the writing on the wall where he was going to be on the outside looking in and it wanted an opportunity elsewhere where he could, you know, get an oppor- more opportunity. But then I looked at the salary cap situation after these signings and it might've just been purely salary cap related that the Falcons needed to cut somebody in order to fit both Patterson and Harmon under their salary cap, the remaining cap space. And they deemed Ito to be that guy. Now we don't know quite what Deron Harmon's price tag is going to be, but we do know Patterson did sign a one year, $3 million deal. And so at least the team seemed to deem that, you know, if they were going to cut somebody, you know, it made more sense for them to cut Edo Smith than, say, cut T.J. Green. So we we already know Patterson's primarily going to be a kick returner, but we can probably guess that at least offensively, he'll probably get more reps as a running back than necessarily a wide receiver. But in truth, he's just going to basically be a gadget player, uh, regardless of whether he lines up in the backfield or, or split out wide. And I think one question is going to be how big a role is he going to have on offense? Because if the Falcons do indeed draft a running back later this month, you know, that guy winds up proving to be fairly productive as part of the Falcons committee behind Mike Davis. You know, I don't know if you're going to see the team pulling Davis or that rookie in order to dial up a swing pass or a screen pass to Cordero Patterson. And so he may wind up actually spending more time split out wide as a wide receiver than necessary lining up in the backfield. Now, as for Daron Harmon, he spent the bulk of his career playing as a deep safety, whether it was cover one or cover three or cover two uh, in New England and last year with Detroit and, and rarely spends time in the box. And over the past five years combined, looking at the pro football focus charting data, they had him lining up in the box on about 14% of his snaps over the last five years. And, That number is notable because it's the same percentage of snaps that Ricardo Allen lined up in the box during the 2017 season back when Keanu Neal was last healthy. Um, So that's sort of telling you how you know how often Harmon's responsibilities are on the deep half of the field, similar to what Allen was when he was basically that single high safety. And that's meaningful because when we talked about the Falcons signing Eric Harris last month, the other safety that they've added this off season, you know, I noted that Harris, I thought was better playing closer to the line of scrimmage. So rather than having two interchangeable safeties that would help this team sort of disguise their coverages and mix up their coverages, they now seem to have in Harris and Harmon, more complementary safeties, which is fine, but it does suggest that maybe you'll see them deploy more middle of the field, close cover one, cover three type of covered shells that we've grown more used to under the Dan Quinn era than necessarily the middle of the field, open too high split safety coverages favored by and popularized by Vic Fangio and, and Brandon Staley these last couple of years that I believe that the rest of the NFL is moving towards. So I'm certainly intrigued by what the Falcons plan is, Uh, particularly at the safety position in the draft, because it's a similar situation as a running back position where I'm still expecting them to prioritize that position with their draft pick. But instead of drafting two safeties, like I kind of previously expected them to do before the Harmon signing. Now I think they could at least in theory, get away with only drafting one. So I'll be curious to see how that type of guy profiles for them because Harmon You know, has spent the bulk of his career in New England, eight, you know, seven seasons in New England, basically being the third safety there. He played deep in New England's defenses while you had a guy like Patrick Chung playing more up in the box and being that tight end racer. And Devin McCourty was more that sort of versatile, interchangeable guy that would play deep. He'd play in a box. He'd play in the slot. He'd do all the things that they needed him to do. And the Patriots would move him around, given whatever role, given whatever game plan that they would have in that given week. And you kind of saw a similar dynamic with how Dean Pease deployed his three safety looks in Tennessee, especially in 2019 after they drafted Amani Hooker, where Amani Hooker was playing deep. Vaccaro, Kenny Vaccaro was more of that box guy, and Kevin Bayard was more of that versatile Devin McCourty type that would play in the box, would play deep all over the place. So I'll be curious to see if the Falcons still are looking to add more of that Kevin Bayard, uh, Devin McCourty type of player in the draft. Now, as for Ido Smith, you know, he's going to be like probably several players that the Falcons have drafted over the last couple of years that are going to be on the bubble entering training camp and others include Kendall Sheffield and Isaiah Oliver and Deidre Sanat, among others. And I think the case for why you want to keep those guys at least through training camp um, rather than cutting them at this point in time in the offseason is because even if they do wind up being part of the team's final cuts come August or September – You know, you would at least have the chance that maybe someone would want to trade for them, you know, whether that's trading a player for a player or a late round conditional draft pick or something like that. So the idea of sort of keeping them on in training game, even if they're on the outside looking in from a roster standpoint, you know, there is still some value that you may be able to get an asset for them down the road should you keep them on the roster. So uh, unfortunately, the Falcons won't be able to get that from Edo Smith. Um, You know, the cap space that they're saving isn't a whole lot. At least if you're me, you maybe start to question a little bit whether or not you see the value in the Falcons dedicating so much cap space to players like Cordero Patterson and, and Lee Smith in particular, who are now the two most expensive uh, additions that they have made. Uh, this all Well, no, Mike Davis is a little bit more expensive than Lee Smith because of Lee Smith's pay cut, but... You know, one in three now. Patterson is the most expensive addition with his three million, and Lee Smith is third with 1.8 million. And so you have a combined $4.8 million in cap space that those two guys are taking up this year. And as I've said before, in, in a vacuum, I think those players are perfectly fine, but you do wonder could you have gotten similar players for cheaper? and you know you can make the argument that you're spending roughly 3 million dollars more in cap space than you probably would normally need to to have a kick returner and a blocking tight end two roles that a lot of teams would rather deploy players that are closing uh, that are making closer to minimum salaries and that's not mean bashing these moves I just wonder if like eight months from now we're going to look back and say, you know, that extra $3 million, given this team's sort of tight wallet, was worth it, right? Because at least kick returner and blocking tight end, at least to some teams, would could be considered luxury positions uh, where a lot of teams would be willing to settle for replacement level players at uh, and, and rather use the money to bolster, quote unquote, more important positions. You know, and, and the Falcons have largely settled for replacement Level players at those positions these last couple of seasons under Dan Quinn. And again, you can maybe argue that maybe the team would have been better if they hadn't done that and were a little bit more willing to invest more money, maybe not draft picks, but more money into those positions uh, these last couple of years. So that's certainly something worthy of debate, I guess. Um, But, you know, all I'm saying is, you know, I'll be interesting to see if this new regime. You know, if it pays off for them, given that they've apparently designated these to be much more important roles, at least based off of their dollars uh, on the roster than than what you would normally expect from a lot of other teams. So with Patterson, I I think it definitely it's understandable why they would place a premium on him just because of he's one of the best kick returners ever in NFL history. And you can certainly make an argument that Lee Smith, who's made a, a name for himself over the last decade as one of the top blocking tight ends in the biz. You know, that makes sense as well. But I just find it interesting that these aren't, again, areas uh, where the Falcons felt as necessary as most teams would to try to cut corners and, and pinch pennies. So, again, not complaining about the moves. I just think it's an interesting set of choices. And I'll certainly be curious to see if it winds up paying off in the end. You know, I just have questions. But at least we did get one answer. Back when, at the end of March, when we were discussing Deion Jones restructuring his contract and the $4 million in cap space that they freed up, whether or not the team was going to use that as sort of a down payment to eventually getting their rookie signed, or whether they're going to use that $4 million to sign additional players before the draft. And we got our answer because they have basically used up all that money to sign Stephen Means, Jonathan Ballard, Patterson, and Harmon now. Um, So we got that answer. So... That's what I'll say. You know, I'll probably have additional thoughts on these moves probably Monday after I watch a little bit more film on these guys over the weekend. And obviously, hopefully, we'll get a little bit more information on exactly how much it cost us to sign Harmon. Uh, but, you know, thumbs up in general on Patterson and Harmon. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Edo Smith here. You know, you wonder if, you know, if he didn't have the concussion history, maybe he would have gotten more opportunities these last two seasons in particular and, uh, you know, would have been productive enough that, you know, the the Falcons wouldn't have felt, seen him as an expendable piece. So, uh, yeah, more more thoughts on that potentially coming on Monday, but, you know, we're going to continue today's episode uh, talking with Derek Klassen about this quarterback class and, Some of these guys fits in Atlanta, focusing on Justin Fields and and Trey Lance. But before we get there, guys, I do want uh, to plug the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the Atlanta Hawks. Check out the Lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by my boy, Brad Roland, wherever you get your podcasts. So today's episode is brought to you by Tintin, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. Tintin is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana. 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement Mother's Day or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only at Blue Nile dot com. Just search the words. 10 by 10 this collection features high quality fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced so you can give her something special and truly meaningful i've checked these out myself and i was really impressed with many of the different designs including some traditional ones and more sleeker modern ones as well so if you're on the hunt for the perfect unique ring she'll treasure forever you'll definitely going to want to check this out They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. So if you're looking to get updates on the biggest stories from around the entire sports landscape, check out the Locked On Today podcast where host Peter Bukowski has you covered now. It's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So guys, it's me, Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. And of course, I am joined by my illustrious guest. This is Derek Klassen. He writes a lot of great football content on Football Outsiders as well as NBC Sports Edge, you can get his insights into this upcoming quarterback class with all his charting data on basically the consensus top nine quarterbacks over at NBCSports.com. Derek, my friend, welcome back to the show. It's been a long time since you've been on Locked On Falcons, but welcome back.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be back, man. Feeling good. Uh, anytime I get to talk quarterbacks is uh, is definitely a good time to me- good time for me.
0: Well, I imagine because you've done most of the legwork on the quarterback class, you're 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 pretty smooth sailing from here until the draft. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah. Still
1: have some some uh, some other stuff to knock out for um, NBC Sports Edge. You know, we're kind of putting together, um, you know, all the blurbs for like when a guy is going to get drafted. So we just have that ready to go instead of trying to just. You know, frantically write those on draft night, but yeah. uh, other than that, yeah, pretty smooth sailing since the quarterback charting is finally done.
0: Okay, well, we're we're going to talk pretty much about quarterbacks, and we'll we'll get into Justin Fields and Trey Lance, the two guys that are presumably on the Falcons' radar later in the episode. But I kind of want to pick uh, Derek's brain on on Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. Everybody seems to have pretty much the universal opinion with with a couple of outliers out there that you know Trevor Lawrence is good. I think everybody agrees on that. But the rest of this uh, quarterback class at the top and 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 further on tends to be a little bit more polarizing. And you know, I've seen some stuff from you that m- may indicate that you're not as high on Zach Wilson as other people are. Mac Jones is another player that people have tend to strong have tend to have strong opinions on but on those two players where do you sort of see those guys within this class um, and and are there concerns about their game or do you feel pretty good about what they will be at the next level
1: Wilson is is so frustrating because I think he's a good prospect and I've written about like I think he's pretty accurate to all levels of the field obviously we know what he can do as a playmaker um, I think his arm is getting a little bit overrated, but is obviously very good, and there's not, like, any throw that he can't make. So I I think he's a good prospect and somebody who you should feel okay about taking a gamble on in in the top 10. But the fact that he's kind of getting pushed up into this, like, great category where he's like, yeah, the Jets absolutely have to take him, I, I think that's insane to me because I think there's a lot about his profile that feels... Like it's a gamble instead of a sure thing. Like um, I think his processing is extremely up and down, and you saw that more in 2019 when, you know, he was playing real defenses instead of him getting to play North Alabama and Arkansas State or whoever he was playing um, last season. Um, and like that, that inconsistent processing didn't hurt him as much in 2020 because obviously they were such a talent advantage especially in terms of like their offensive line like he got just these unbelievably clean pockets all the time so he was kind of getting to play a different game and that wasn't hurting him as much as I think it's going to in the NFL Um, he's also had issues um, like a bunch of different injury issues I think he had surgery on his shoulder so like that's kind of a concern moving forward so to me there's just a lot of stuff that I I think he's a good prospect but kind of moves him down into more of like a, a nice gamble in the top 10 instead of this surefire thing um, Mac Jones, kind of in the same category in the sense that it seems like he's getting pushed up like one tier from what he actually is. I think he's like a fine prospect that you feel comfortable taking, like um, where Drew Locke got drafted, where Derek Carr got drafted, uh, Andy Dalton. Kind of like the the early parts of round two is kind of where I feel like you should be taking Mac Jones. But it seems like he's getting a bump into the top 10, which I think is, is a little bit too rich for me because the ceiling on his game is just... I mean, even if everything goes right, he's basically like Kirk Cousins at best, maybe like a watered-down Matt Ryan. And to me, if you're spending a top-ten pick on that, you are completely wasting your resources.
0: Now, with Mac Jones specifically, there were some times I watched him and I said, okay, I see why people like him, because I think there are some plays, there are some games where he does look similar to what Joe Burrow looked like last year at LSU. I don't think he's as good as Joe Burrow, but do you feel like it's fair to say that if, if Matt Jones wasn't in this particular draft class, that he would be considered much more of that sort of top five pick that a lot of people are now billing him as, as a, as a possibility.
1: Um, just in terms of like, people always being scared about quarterback scarcity. Maybe like, I think just if, if there were a class where there was only maybe one other true first round guy, instead of the four that we have this year, then maybe he would be like consistently billed as a first round guy. But I think, I mean, to me, I just don't think, I mean, even you said this, I don't think he's quite as good as Burrow was for a number of reasons. Um, I don't think he's near as good a playmaker or nearly as athletic, as athletic as Joe Burrow was both in and out of the pocket Um, because like Joe Burrow his movements inside the pocket Mm. he's really explosive um, especially for a guy his size Um, doesn't have the crazy 4-4 high end speed but uh, within the pocket Burrow was so good at making guys miss and understanding where space was and Jones doesn't really have that to the same degree Um, and I don't think I mean Jones is very accurate but I don't think he's quite as special as Burrow was in that department especially with the tight window throws I know PFF has said like even in just their last seasons, Joe Burrow nailed like sixty more tight window throws, which obviously there weren't that many to be had in the Alabama offense considering how good they were. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's just crazy how much, you know, how, how more how much more often Joe Burrow was able to make that happen. So I think the only reason he would ever get pushed up is in terms of scarcity. So like you said, maybe in a class where there was only one other legit guy, I would get why he's getting top ten hype. But when there's so many other options in this class, I just don't understand it.
0: And we're going to talk about those other options, uh, starting with Justin Fields, uh, uh, coming up here with Derek Klassen of uh, Football Outsiders and NBC Sports. But before we get there, since we're speaking of options, maybe you want to check out the great options or rather flavors over at BuiltBar.com, the home of the best tasting protein bar. Out there on the market, built bars contain 100% real chocolate, so they taste just like a candy bar. They come in great flavors like coconut, almond, peanut butter, cherry, barcia, lemon, almond cheesecake, cookies, and cream, caramel, brownie, and so much more. And built bars, they're not just tasty, they're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. I like using them as low calorie meal replacements for breakfast and lunch. You can use them to give yourself an energy boost poster pre-workout, however you want. Just head over to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Now, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. And maybe you didn't get a chance to bet on the NFL, or March Madness, or the Masters recently. But the NBA, NHL, NASCAR, FCS, college football all in full swing. And, of course, Major League Baseball is back. And it's not just sports. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, including the 2021 NFL draft. Because BetOnline has you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit again. Sign up today at betonline.ag. Promo code locked on and you'll get your 50% welcome bonus. Betonline, your online sportsbook experts. So from April 19th through the 26th, you got to check out the ultimate mock draft 2021 presented by locked on and odyssey featuring analysis from NFL experts like Michael Irvin, Jason lock Brian Baldinger. And of course, Aaron Freeman, our local experts for every team are making trades and picking the next stars for their respective teams. Search the ultimate mock draft 2021 on the new odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your home for all the sports podcasts, music and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. So Justin Fields obviously has been polarizing in some circles. It seems like the majority of people not involved with the NFL seem to think he is clearly QB2 in this draft class. At least the consensus seems to be that. Uh, It it does seem like the NFL, at least if you just base it off of all the leaks that you get from anonymous scouts and and various sources, etc., the NFL kind of sees him at QB four, QB five in this year's draft class. I'm just curious, from your perspective, looking at Justin Fields, what do you sort of value him in terms of a floor, his ceiling, his what type of quarterback in terms of his play style is going to be, and then you know, gearing it specifically to the Falcons, what do you sort of see if he is a a good fit in Atlanta?
1: I mean, I think he he's so good that he should he is the type of player that is worthy of going first overall in any class that doesn't also happen to have Trevor Lawrence. Like in that sense, he kind of just got unlucky um, because I think in almost any class, basically after like the luck class, I think he's would be the best quarterback. Like I think he's just fantastic. He's the most accurate quarterback I've ever charted. I think all the stuff about the way he processes, all the leaks that have come out about, oh, he can't process or he's late or he can't get to a second read. It's all nonsense. Like, especially the idea that he can't get to his second read. I think there were plenty of times in that Ohio State offense where he was getting all the way to the backside of a concept and hitting it um, on time. I think the only way that the processing thing kind of shows up is that he has this tendency to he will hold out for concepts deeper down the field at the you know at the expense of not being able to get to his checkdowns. Um, and I think to me that's just I think that just speaks to his confidence and his arm talent that he knows like, yeah, I can kind of wait a half second on this because I know that if in that, in that instance that it comes even a little bit open, I'm going to be able to nail it. Um, And he's not really worried about, oh, if it doesn't come open, then I'm going to have to scramble. Okay. I mean, he can run a four, four, so who cares? And he can just get outside the pocket and make plays, make plays there. So to me, like I said, I think I would take him first overall in any class that doesn't happen to have Lawrence. Um, And I think he would be fantastic in Atlanta. Um, especially in the Arthur Smith system. I think, I, I mean, to me, he's scheme proof, um, but I think if the Arthur Smith offense looks similar to what it did in Tennessee, I think he would absolutely crush that.
0: Now with my watching of Justin Fields and, and I'll readily admit, I have not watched nearly as much as these quarterbacks as you have. I've watched, you know, a handful of games for each of them. Um, for me, at least when I w- watched Justin Fields, it did seem like he was, you know, a little bit more methodical, Um in his processing and, and due to some of the things that you said. And then when I compare him to some of these other quarterbacks in the class, it just didn't seem like Ohio state really was invested in giving him checkdowns on short stuff where it's like, see it, if it's not there, check it down. And I thought you see that with Wilson and Jones and, and Lawrence and even Lance as well. And I think that's maybe contributing to some of the, the narratives around Justin Fields, where it's just like, It's not to say that the Ohio Ohio State offense was bad. It just is not what you typically see, particularly in the NFL level, where it's like, okay, here's the read. Here's that initial read. If it's not there, just check it down to your running back in the the backfield. I think he only completed maybe like 12 passes to his running backs, where you compare that to Mac Jones, who threw like 40 passes to Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, who had like 40 or 50 catches this year in Clemson. Um, You know, what are your thoughts on maybe the Ohio State offense, not necessarily – showcasing his ability uh to the degree that maybe a typical NFL offense would.
1: I mean, I think that comes down to you know, it's not a college offense's job to prepare them for the NFL, right? It's their job to win games. Yeah. Um and I think kind of like I mentioned with Fields being so confident and having such ridiculous arm talent, I think Ryan Day was willing to kind of just fully index the offense to, well, we have the best passer beyond 10 yards in college football. So why not just make the entire offense out of that? Um, and I think they did a really good job of that, especially, you know, with the two receivers they had, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like, it, you know, Justin Fields even said this, you know, when people were like, oh, well, you threw your, to your first read a lot. He was like, yeah, have you seen the receivers I'm playing with? Like, they're open a lot, so I'm going to throw it to them. Um, and, they, and a lot of the routes that they were running were beyond 10 yards. So, um, yeah, I think kind of like you said, it, it just kind of speaks to the offense really just indexing into that deep play style because that's what Justin Fields was good at. Um, and I think they didn't necessarily have to have those checkdowns in because Fields can be his own checkdown. I mean, I think he moves really well in the pocket. Um, when he needs to and I think if he can break the pocket you know he ran like a 4-4 or whatever and he's incredibly explosive and he can outrun just about anybody at the college level and I think he's still going to be able to outrun most people at the NFL level so um I, I think he's going to be able to learn to check the ball down a little bit more in the NFL I don't think that's something I'm worried about but I think it's it's definitely fair to you know wonder why they didn't have that in their offense but to me I think it's such a, a small thing that he'll be able to figure out that I'm not worried about it at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I I think having a quarterback like him that is willing to push the ball down the field, you know, people talk about what you want to coach, you know, all these guys need to be coached up and you, you want to coach. It's easier as they say to coach a guy to be a little bit more conservative than trying to coach a guy to be a little bit more aggressive. And I don't think that's going to be an issue with Justin Fields uh, moving forward. Now, turning the page to Trey Lance, similar question, you know, where do you sort of see Trey Lance's floor, his ceiling, his play style, and his fit in Atlanta?
1: I mean, I'll start with the fit in Atlanta. I think it would be absolutely perfect because I think, you know, people have made the comparison that Trey Lance is kind of like a monster truck version of Ryan Tannehill. And so, obviously, if you're getting that into the into the Arthur Smith offense, I think it would be fantastic. Um, and you saw a lot of the play action stuff. Um, from under center at North Dakota State like it's very easy to see how this translates for him so I think he has a phenomenal arm maybe the best in the class um, I think he is a really really good athlete not quite as fast in you know just like a 40-yard dash as maybe Justin Fields is um, but I think he probably would would run in like the four or five range and I think he's a fantastic athlete too and you can use him on a lot of designed run stuff that Tennessee kind of did with Tannehill but didn't Probably wouldn't have done, like, they'll do it more with Trey Lance, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially in the red zone, because he's such a strong, powerful runner. I think even if they don't want to play him year one in Atlanta, they could actually do a lot of, like, goal line stuff with him, because he's just such a fantastic runner that it would kind of bring a completely different element, obviously, to the to the offense that, you know, then Matt Ryan brings. But um, I think with Lance, the only thing that kind of worries me is, is accuracy a little bit, but... Um, part of that is his mechanics can kind of get out of whack, especially the the later in the down that he is throwing. I think his quick game footwork is fantastic, but sometimes when he's working to his, his, you know, second or third read, which to be fair, he did a lot more than some of these other quarterbacks. So maybe that's a good sign. Um, but I think sometimes when he was working to his second and third read, his, his footwork and mechanics could get a little out of whack, but I kind of just chalked that up to reps because the dude was 19 years old. Um, as a first-year starter, so like that's it's kind of hard to be as perfect as you want to be. And I think with just the mental acumen that he showed in terms of taking on their protections at the in the North Dakota State offense and some of the dropback stuff that he was asked to do, I have a pretty good amount of faith that he's going to be able to figure out how to how to you know clean up his mechanics a little bit um, as just as he gets more reps. So I think he's fantastic. To me, he's quarterback three. I like him a little bit more than Wilson. Um, and, and and you know, like I said, I think he would be just a fantastic fit in Atlanta, both in terms of the offensive scheme. And he wouldn't really have to play year one, um, which I think would probably be good for him in terms of ironing out some of that mechanical stuff.
0: Now on that note of his, you know, pro readiness and playing in year one, that, that seems to be the narrative around Trey Lance that, you know, he, he's the quarterback of this, at least the top four or so guys that is most prone to people wanting to sit a year. Now, I don't know if it's just me not seeing the same things that other people are seeing, but, or, or, you know, I talked to Mark Schofield about this uh, previously on the podcast and maybe it's just my bias of seeing so many similarities in the offense that he ran at North Dakota state to what I've seen in Atlanta these last couple of years with the amount of play action and and sort of those intermediate throws over the middle. I kind of see him as more pro ready than a lot of people seem to, to suggest what are your thoughts on sort of his pro readiness um obviously you know we're talking specifically about the falcons he's not going to play as a rookie uh should he go to atlanta but if he were to go to a team like san francisco or or somebody else uh do you feel like he's a guy that could come in right away and start right away
1: i i think he could um the the thing is i I would prefer basically all rookie quarterbacks get to sit outside of like the clear elite guys, like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I think they're going to be fine no matter if they, they play or sit um, immediately, but every prospect after that tier in any class, really, I would prefer if they got to sit, cause there's gotta be something that they need to work on. Um, but I think, I think Lance has shown he has the mental acumen to like take on, you know, an NFL playbook, take on the protections, um, not have to be worried about, you know, transitioning to more under center stuff. I think you'd be fine there. And obviously, and like one of the big things with rookie quarterbacks is like, no matter how smart you are coming into the league, it's a different game. And there's going to be plays that, you know, kind of throw you off your rhythm and you're not going to be ready for it. And you have to be able to be a playmaker after that. Lance obviously has that. I think he he's very confident when, when things start to break down. And I think he's a fantastic athlete and he can throw on the run. So I think he kind of has that ability to kind of fix plays when they break down. And I think for any rookie, you know, you're going to have plenty of those plays, but I think he could start year one. But like I said, any prospect under that elite tier, I would prefer if they get to sit. Um, And with Lance in particular, it would be to iron out some of that mechanical stuff Um, because, you know, Benjamin Solak has said this before, but the best way to fix a problem is to stop doing the thing but when bullets are flying, it's hard to not do the thing because you just want to rely on what you're used to. But I think if Lance could get a year behind Matt Ryan where he's really just ironing out mechanics, getting used to the offense, that sort of thing, I think year two he could come in and just be, I think, fantastic.
0: Um, Last question on, on Trey Lance. Uh, I know one of the things you wrote about was the fact that he wasn't pressured a ton at North Dakota state in part due to how much max protect that they used in their offense. And the fact that, you know, they had a pretty good offensive line and just, you know, you, you don't see FCS defensive lines that, you know, featured the four horsemen of the apocalypse, like you would see in the sec or, 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 or elsewhere uh, at a higher level of competition. Is there a concern that once he gets to the NFL and and, and maybe playing for some of these offensive lines that typically picking at the top of the draft Um, aren't necessarily great. You know, you look at a team like New New York, where I'm I'm eager to see how Zach Wilson handles how much pressure he's going to see this upcoming season. But is that a concern for you with Trey Lance? Is that a question mark? or, Or did you see enough when he had those opportunities to make those sort of second opportunity plays that you feel like that projects pretty well for him at the next level?
1: I mean, I think it's definitely fair to wonder if we got a good enough sample size on him doing that. I think that's completely fair because I think, you know, when I charted him, I think he was only pressured like 12 to 13% of the time, which was lower than basically everyone in the class. So completely fair criticism. But I, I think he, to me, he showed such good movement in the pocket and understanding how to tie his movement away from pass rushers into whatever his next progression was, I think for a 19 year old was just absolutely absurd. And like I've mentioned, sometimes he would have issues completing the throw after that and hopefully just getting reps and getting more comfortable with mechanics. He could start to iron that out. But just to me, the fact that he already has like that baseline of understanding pocket movement and getting to his, you know, tying that to his next read, I think is outstanding. So I think he'll be personally fine. And then obviously when praise plays break down, like I said, I think, you know, he's a great athlete on film um, and has a good enough arm to throw outside, um, you know, when he gets outside the pocket when he's pressured. So um, I think we probably might see a little bit of a different Trey Lance if he happens to get pressured a ton wherever he gets drafted. But I think, you know, what he showed in the pocket to me when he was getting pressured at North Dakota State, even if it wasn't a lot um by volume i think you know the glimpses he showed of it i think were fantastic and i'm i'm willing to bank that he can be that guy um even if he starts to get pressured more behind these terrible offensive
0: lines um and you know my last question for you is looking at you know we talked about several of the big five and then there's sort of the next four and that tends to be pretty consistently kellen mon davis mills kyle trask jamie newman you know which of these guys and and tailoring it specifically to the Falcons. Which of these guys do you feel like... I think a lot of people sort of are billing these guys as like long-term backups, like more of the A.J. McCarron, Mason Rudolph type of player. But if any of these guys could maybe... I guess maybe the the closest comparison in recent years is maybe a Jacoby Brissett type where you sort of sit him, develop him. And then, you know, at the end of his rookie contract, maybe he can be that sort of bridge starter for a year or two and and be a serviceable uh, option for you. Which of these guys, if if they were to be in Atlanta, if the Falcons were to pass on all these top quarterbacks at the top of the draft and, and go after one of these guys on day two or day three of the draft, which of those guys would you bet say, okay, the Falcons got him. I think he might have a chance to be that type of player uh, for them down the road. Uh,
1: You know, of that group, I probably feel the best about uh, Kellen Mond. Um, He's a little bit frustrating because I think, you know, he started for a long time. He started like 40 games at Texas A&M and he never quite made the leap to being like this star quarterback um, that I think many people were hoping he could, because he did look good early on in his career and he just, He got a little bit better over the years, but never really quite made that step that people were thinking. But I think he has a really good arm. Um, He's a good athlete. He doesn't like to break the pocket, but I think when he is forced to, he's athletic enough to make stuff happen. Um, And then if you watch the Jimbo Fisher offense, like Jimbo Fisher obviously gets a lot of flack for, you know, different parts of coaching, but like that's an NFL offense that they are running. And he ran it, not the best, you know, he was a little bit inconsistent, but I think you could see, that he was capable of handling the NFL offense, at least on a level to where he could be a good backup right away. And like you said, maybe potentially develop into an NFL starter, um, you know, probably on the lower levels, like outside the top 20. But I think he could develop into that Jacoby Brissett, you know, caliber of starter, um, just because I think he's shown that he can kind of handle these NFL concepts. Um, And if he can iron out his accuracy just a little bit, um, I think that would kind of be what, finally puts him in that range I think the accuracy is really just the biggest thing for him he's shown some really high highs but he will just miss for really no reason and it's funny because you know a lot of these other quarterbacks will be like oh well he was late on the read so that's why he missed or his feet were out of whack that's why he missed or his throwing motion is really weird with Mond it's literally like there's no discernible reason why he will stop playing well for some reason he just will stop playing well and so maybe if he can iron that out he'll be okay but um, in that tier of guys, he's probably the only one I feel okay about, you know, getting to that level.
0: Oh, and I have one more question for you, Derek. Um, mm-hmm. Just to pick your brain on this, when when you're evaluating these quarterbacks, how much of it is where they go in terms of determining their success in your eyes? And you know, relatively speaking, you know, I, I would probably make the case that San Francisco is probably the best environment, uh, given uh, the presence of Kyle Shanahan there. But would you make the case that maybe Atlanta, at least of these teams picking in the top 10, we'll see if maybe a team later in the draft wants to come up uh, and, and obviously could be a, a better environment for a quarterback to develop. But do you see Atlanta as like a prime opportunity, a prime spot for one of these guys to land in, and at least given the, you know, the nature versus nurture, I guess, debate with the quarterback position, at least Atlanta has a better chance of, of being able to develop these guys than maybe some of these other spots?
1: I think that's true for Atlanta. I mean, in terms of of quarterback landing spot, I think unless you are like a, a really special prospect like Lawrence or Fields, I think Lawrence or Fields could be good no matter where they end up. Even if they end up on, on the worst team, I think that over time they'll be able to figure it out. But I think for everyone after that, it, it kind of is about landing spot. But I do think Atlanta's good. Um, basically, for all the reasons I listed for Trey Lance specifically, where like with Matt Ryan already there, you don't have to play like right away um, if you don't need to. And I think that would be good for Lance Wilson and and really all the other guys after that. So um, especially if they end up taking a guy like Mon. And then I think everything we've seen from Arthur Smith uh, in Tennessee, what he was able to do with his offense. I think he's a clearly smart guy who knows how to set up his quarterbacks for success. So I think it would be a really good spot for them. And you obviously have um, some pretty good receivers there to throw to if you need a little bit of a safety blanket. So um I think, like you mentioned, San Francisco is, is the clear best spot just because Kyle Shanahan is, is so damn good at what he does. But after that, I think um, Atlanta is a pretty good landing spot for a lot of these guys, uh, in particular Trey Lance.
0: So, Derek, I'm, I'm going to read into that. That you know, it's a can't miss prospect for the Falcons, regardless of who they go, just because of that, uh, and and that's the. Lie, I have to tell myself, uh, <laughs> should, <laughs> should the Falcons go quarterback uh, position. But uh, I, I appreciate you coming on, talking with us, with these quarterbacks, giving your insight into them. Uh, eagerly looking forward to see if the Falcons do wind up pulling the trigger on one of these quarterbacks at the top of the draft. Uh, let the listeners know sort of what type, type of content that, you can, that they can find from you uh, at the various places that you're writing you're at.
1: Yeah. um, First, uh, thanks for having me on. Always uh, love to talk quarterbacks, love to hop on the show. Um, You guys can find me at QB Class on Twitter, QBKLASS. I do some work at NBC Sports Edge for college football stuff. And then over at Football Outsiders, I do their film room um, and some NFL draft stuff during the draft season. And then just recently, you can find it on my Twitter, I released uh, my quantifying quarterback spreadsheet, which is all the, the charting stuff I do. I think there were like 3,500 total passes between the nine
0: quarterbacks. So a lot of data for you guys to check out if uh, if you feel so inclined. There you go. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, just inundate you with numbers and, and then basically you, you see what you want to see, uh, basically, as you can cherry pick that sort of stuff. So Derek, really do appreciate it. Uh, look forward to our next chat. Hopefully it will not be as long as a drought between you coming on the podcast as it has been these last couple of years. So definitely appreciate you coming on, man. All right, guys, there you have it. Derek Klassen, Football Outsiders, NBC Sports. You know, big takeaways is, you know, people love Justin Fields. So we'll see if he's the guy there. The recent buzz, at least emerging on Thursday, is that he, he may be the favorite now at three over Mac Jones. We'll see, you know. Um, so we'll just see that go get bandied back and forth over the next two weeks. We'll find out Thursday, April 29th. Around 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. So, Monday, we got a Mock Draft Monday, Mailbag Monday. And as I promised last week, you know, this is our second to last Mock Draft Monday. And so, if you guys want to submit your mock drafts and have me uh, judge them, you know, criticize them, you know, crush them, whatever whatever you're looking for, of course, you can submit those, you know, just... Put a screenshot if you want to uh, tag me on Lockdown Falcons on either Twitter or Facebook. Or, you know, you can do a screenshot or, you know, type it out, I guess, if you want um, f- for uh, the email address at LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com. And, and whether you just want to do a Falcons one, you know, like a seven round Falcons one or a full all 32 team first round one, or you just want to project the first four picks in a draft. You know, I don't think that's particularly Interesting, but like, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you're going to do. So it's up to you. I, I will give you the floor and the format of how you want to do that. So submit those over the weekend. Probably, you know, if you can get them in today or Saturday is the higher probability of me seeing them and talking about them since I record Monday's episode at some point on Sunday. But yeah. Definitely, uh, first come, first serve, obviously, the, the better your chances of, of getting it seen if you submit those over the weekend. And then, of course, we'll be uh, answering any listener questions that you have, in if even if you don't have a, um, a mock draft that you want to submit. And, of course, we'll sort of see what develops with the moves that the Falcons made uh, earlier today or yesterday, as most of you are listening to this, uh, and see if we get some more details on Deron Harmon and whatnot. And we got some more draft content coming for you next week as well. We're going to start looking a a little bit beyond the first round of the draft and and maybe look at some running backs uh, in rounds two, three, four, or even later uh, in terms of, getting some insights from some folks about maybe a running back or two that may be a great fit in Atlanta uh, comparable to how maybe Derek believes Justin Fields or uh, Trey Lance are great fits in Atlanta. So that's what you have on deck for next week, guys. Appreciate it until then. Have a great weekend.